Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. On this episode, what has to happen for Josh Allen in 2020 to become the guy? What does Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and Brian Dable all need to do in order to get better in 2020? Bruce wrote an article that Jordan Phillips had some thoughts on. And what's the rest of the offseason calendar look like? I'm the columnist, he's the analyst, and this is The Nick and Nolan Show. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, and along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. I hope you guys like that new intro. New year, right? I mean, technically, there was one pod of 2020 that's already passed, the solo pod, right? Yeah, but this is the first Nick and a Nolan, Nolan pod. Yeah, pod. This is I mean, the that, first... was, that was a really a Nolan and Nolan yeah, it's a, yeah. Oh, right, right. Nolan, Nolan, and Associates. Yes, yes. Well, luckily we are here together, and we hope that you guys enjoyed that that new intro for the new Nick and Nolan pod in a new year. Uh, We want to give a shout out to Ryan Nellis. He's on Twitter at Ryan, R-Y-A-N underscore Nellis, N-E-L-L-I-S. And Ryan, actually, by total happenstance, he, he and I went to high school together, but we were both originally from Buffalo, New York, and... After we graduated, we went separate ways. Ryan's actually back in Buffalo now, but he does mashups. That's something he's been doing for years where he, you know, like uh, the, the most famous artist I know who does that was, was Girl Talk. But they take tracks from all kinds of different genres of music and they, they strip the vocals away on this one and they strip the instrumentals away from this one. And then you mash them together and you create a whole new song. So what you heard was a mashup that Ryan created uh, some time ago and then retrofitted for us to turn into the new theme of the Nick and Nolan show. And Ryan has a YouTube channel where you can listen to tons and tons of his different mashups and stuff and uh, give him a follow on Twitter. He's a Bills fan. He's a Sabres fan. And he does some he does some really cool stuff and shares his the, the mashups that he's working a lot of times on Twitter. So you can you can see what he's working on and stuff like that. But uh, we thank him. Because it's a, it gets the juices flowing. That, yeah, that, it's a that, high energy sort of, uh, sort of intro there, and the sound bites. I mean, are, are they're just perfect. Yes, they're tremendous. Yeah, because I often don't really know how I want to ask 
what I'm trying to figure out how that I want to ask. I know the spirit behind it. I've got the I've got you know, there's a little something behind the eyes here on this one. But how do I uh, how do I pull it out? You know, it's it's that's not as it's easier said than done. And uh, Ron Swanson, you know, not knowing anything about people, not them not knowing each other's names, that seems seems I, seems apt. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's that's a good fit for you. We still never talk sometimes. Also, I make an argument that Ron Swanson is one of the greatest television characters in history. Fight me. So, I mean, Ron Swanson, Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. These are very, very, very high. Dr. Cox from Scrubs. These are all very, very high on the list. For never Bruce. never really got into Scrubs. Michael Scott, obviously. Not an office guy? Or just... No, I love The Office. It, it, to me, it's just, as far as the enjoyability of the character, to me, there's a clear head and shoulders with Ron Swanson and Captain Holt and Dr. Cox. All right. Well, there's another elephant in the room, aside from the fact that we have got a new theme that y'all just experienced with us. And it's all it's the interaction that you have gotten, Bruce, from one of the Bills' very own players. So this Monday past was Jordan Phillips Day at Buffalo Rumblings. So the website spent the entire day exploring the situation of the Bills and their opportunity to re-sign Jordan Phillips this offseason. So there were articles written by Jeff Kantrowski, by Matt Warren, by you, uh, and there's others. I, I'm, I don't mean to forget anybody, but I don't know off the top of my head everybody that, that was involved. And you wrote a 1,200-word piece about the situation that the Bills find themselves in with Jordan Phillips and what the tape showed as far as his actual performance this year. And then considering, which I think is a big part of what this looks like, considering what does a player who had that kind of performance, what are they likely to want to receive from the team they sign with in compensation in free agency? And he responded to your article. So why don't you maybe summarize quickly where you came out on it? I mean, people who've been listening to this podcast for some time well, no, it's it's consistent with what we've said previously and what that whole situation was like for you. So my article that I wrote at BuffaloRumblings.com centered around the fact that I did not see an avenue where if I was the Buffalo Bills front office, that there would able to there would be able to be an agreement between what Jordan Phillips and his representation felt like he was worth and what I felt like I was willing to pay him. I did not see a path for that convergence to happen. You and I have talked about before that the the team and the representation and the player, those parties have to agree on what the player is in order for that to happen. And Jordan Phillips thinks he's a top three defensive tackle in the league. If there was any ambiguity about whether or not Jordan Phillips thought that he was a top three DT in the league, he commented on your article on Twitter at Buffalo Rumblings and said that he was easily a top three DT. And his statistics for using that were sacks and tackles for loss. That was his thing. If you look at the sacks and the tackles for loss, I am top three in the league. And he's not wrong according to those statistics. 
And what does a top three DT make? About $17 million a year. And what would be, if you were Brandon Bean or you were Joe Shane's assistant, you were just a, you were a guy in there, and they said, hey, Bruce, what do you think, uh, you know, if, if you were in charge, what would you offer, what would be like the top dollar you would offer Jordan Phillips? Five, six million dollars a year? Yeah. I mean, some, some guys are saying seven. And if you offer a player less than half and 10 million, over $10 million less than what he thinks he's worth per year, it's just not in a very optimistic situation that, that, yeah. that he's going to take that yeah, off. I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. And so, you know, Jordan Phillips would come back as a backup three-tech defensive tackle. I'm not interested in paying a backup three-tech defensive tackle 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year. I'm, I'm not interested in that. That doesn't do anything for me. However, there will be a team that has a gaping hole at three tech and doesn't like a lot of the prospects or doesn't think that they're going to be able to get the prospects that they want at that position. And they're going to look to Jordan Phillips and go, hey, we can pay him like a starting three tech defensive tackle. And he should do that. The thing about the thing about this discussion is that I'm not arguing that Jordan Phillips should or should not do anything. That, that, that's not that's not my bag. That's not what I do. So Jordan Phillips should do whatever it is that makes him happy. And if this is his opportunity at a big payday and a team is offering him that and he wants that money, he should go get it. And I think that there will be a team. I think highly enough of Jordan Phillips and his performance this year that I think there will be a team that will offer him between 8 and $10 million a year. I think that will happen. And I don't think that team should be the Bills for the reasons I just said. So there's just not a match between what the player thinks they are, what I think the player is, right? So if I, then that's an opinion column, right? If I was running the team, this is what I would do. And Jordan Phillips responded to my piece. He specifically called it hot garbage. Well, he said hot, and then he used a trash can emoji. Yeah. So hot trash, hot garbage. You know, emoji has a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, choose your own adventure. Sure. So, yeah. So <laughs> hot trash or hot garbage. Pick your own. Whichever, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever. Which, which, yeah. Whatever floats your boat. Whichever one you like more, Bruce. That's what I was saying. Yes. I was going to go with hot garbage on this one. But that was his that was his opinion. And he said, you know, to say that I had splash plays, that's a joke. I'm not entirely sure what he meant by that. Um, splash plays are good. You, you want splash plays. Um, but to take you know, 20 to 30 snaps, which is those impact plays that he made, right? To take 20 or 30 snaps out of the 582 snaps that Jordan Phillips played on defense and build an entire contract around those snaps, I think is um, unwise when you have a player like Ed Oliver in front of him. And we drafted Ed Oliver at number nine to be the starting three technique of this team. That's the reason why you do that. And... I understand that we rotate, and I understand that we, we, we do that, and that's, that's great. However, it is bad resource allocation to have three players in the top 22 at a position, like defensive tackle. Well, and with Star Latulule, well, let's just cut him. You can't really cut Star Latulule. Yeah, so let's, let's, that's what I was about to say is a handful of people are going to say, well, cut Star and then pay Jordan. Yeah, so Star costs us $10 million to keep and $7.5 million to cut. 
So it's a three million dollar swing plus you lose the body. Right. That's that's a poor that's a poor move. In addition, they don't play the same position. So stop saying just cut Star and put Jordan Phillips in and start Phillips next to Ed Oliver. Don't don't do that. They don't play the same position. And also, you don't want Jordan Phillips at one tech. You are literally exacerbating the thing that he doesn't do well, which is eat up space, deal with double teams, anchor down against the run. You don't want to do that. That's a mistake. So this essentially becomes a how much do you value a backup three-tech defensive tackle when someone else will value him as a starting three-tech? This is a lot like a quarterback situation. If you have a backup quarterback who's going to get to free agency and he wants to be paid like a starter, you can't pay him like a starter just to keep him because he's a backup for you, but he's a starter for somebody else. And that's the scenario we have with Jordan Phillips. Now, let's say hypothetically you were to make the offer to Jordan for five, six, seven, and he and he took it and came back. We would be glad to have him. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a reasonable player. Jordan Phillips is a reasonable player. We're not saying, nobody is saying, you're not saying, and I agree with you, but no one is saying not a good player and wouldn't like to have him on the roster. You know, it's going to be a challenge to backfill behind him. But the idea of swapping him out for star, which I think is a lot of people are underwhelmed with the statistical performance of star in comparison to his contract. The problem is you can't really get out of that. And if you move on from star, who's your number one one tech that Harrison Phillips coming off of a second torn knee? So you're going to take a you're going to save three million dollars, still have seven million to the dead cap, lose the body that Star Latulale is, which is a rosterable starting caliber one tech. I mean, he is reasonable. He's perfectly he, fine. He's perfectly fine at what he does. You're going to lose that. Put in Harrison Phillips, who was having a very nice season, but who was coming off of another torn ACL on a knee that he's already torn previously, and friend of the pod banged up bills kyle trimble has said that it's you know it is he going to be fine yeah but is he going to come back and be identical or be top notch immediately the answer to that is is probably not and you probably are going to be making moves on the outside of the defensive line this offseason you would hope you're definitely need to at least add so you're talking about doing an awful lot to potentially overpay a player like Jordan Phillips, who is going to be playing or at least splitting snaps with Ed Oliver and probably playing less snaps than Ed Oliver, all to keep him because he had a good season in a contract year. This is one of those times where the analytics can actually help you a little bit. Jordan Phillips got a sack this year on 45% of his pressures. For those of you who don't know, don't have any context for that, that is an absolutely bonkers statistic bonkers getting a sack basically half the time you get a pressure is completely unsustainable from a sack standpoint you have to account for the fact that this from a sack numbers standpoint this is an outlier for jordan phillips and it's very likely to be an outlier moving forward that's not a slight against jordan phillips that's just that nobody converts 50 percent or 45% of their pressures into sacks long-term. That's just not how this works. And also, pressures are more indicative of future sacks than sacks are. 
The best way to tell whether someone's going to get sacks in the future is not based on whether they got sacks now. It's based on whether they got pressures now. Pressures convert to sacks way more so than sacks convert to sacks. So if you want a predictor for how something's going to go in the future, it's not necessarily looking at the sack number. It's looking at the pressure number. You have to account for the fact that statistically it's an outlier. So then you, you deal with, okay, what if statistically it's an outlier, okay? And what if he doesn't get a lot better anchoring against the run and playing against the run and dealing with the fact that he maybe gets a little too high sometimes ends up on roller skates? Like, now you're dealing with somebody who is a borderline starting player, but now you're paying him $12 million a year. It, it's just not a good move to do it responsibly when someone else is going to. And you have Ed Oliver. I think Ed Oliver is is really kind of what makes this an even easier decision because we are not looking at, at going from Jordan to question mark as far as do we have anything else at that position. We're going from Jordan to the number nine overall pick on a rookie contract and the value is, is out the wazoo as far as that is concerned. And, you know... Is it going to be possible for us to find another per, another player who can give us meaningful three-tech snaps behind Ed Oliver? The answer to that question is yes, and it's not going to cost 10 12 or even $7 million a year. So what about the rest of the organization? This is what we were really going to talk about today before you decided to make news on Monday. I'm sorry. I didn't, well, I didn't mean to. I just Matt came to me. I didn't even intend to write this column. Matt came to me and asked me to write the column. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll write this column. That's, that, that, I'll get on it. And then after I was done, I sent Matt a text message. I said, this is all your fault. All of this is your fault. Look what you've done. Yeah. The other, the other thing that is big news that would be bigger news, I think, if we didn't have this Jordan Phillips conversation to have, is that Brian Dable did not get hired by the Cleveland Browns. He did not. Now, he, who knows how close he really was. You get a lot of contradictory reports about who's in the final three or who's in the final two at any one point in time from beat reporters saying who's in consideration. And there were, at times, talks about Brian Dable being in consideration and then Joe Shane from the offense or from the front office being in consideration for his potential GM pairing if he were to go to Cleveland, which for about, you know, 18 hours or maybe even a day and a half was, you know, not so not so fun for people who are advocates of Brian Dable staying and the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski. And so that ship has sailed. Our front office will stay intact for another season. Brian Dable will be back for his third year with Josh Allen in his third year to make another step forward. And those are all good things. The stability and the continuity are good things. Joe Shane, you know, I, I began to get a little bit more worked up. Now, we have a pretty deep front office, but you don't know who he's going to take is he going to is he going to go away as the number 2 and then take our number 3 to be his number 2 you know and now we've got we lose you know right now we've kind of got this powerhouse of of five guys in the front office at at, at one bills drive that is just a, an incredible brain trust Sometimes I think about the old black and white photos of like coaching of like coaching staffs that they show a lot of times and they're from 10, 12 years ago. And it's like Steve Mariucci and Mike Holmgren and all these guys were on the same staff and then they were all coaching and having you know success at a certain point in their career. The Bills have Brandon Bean 
they have Brian Gain, who already had uh, a front office GM job at, at the Houston Texans and then flamed out of that situation in an unusual style with him and Bill Bryan. So we've got Brandon Bean, you got Brian Gain, you got Joe Shane, you got Dan Morgan and Lake Dawson. And these five guys are all like unanimously thought of very highly studs i mean and so the the likelihood the possibility that we're going to keep all these guys long term is nil us hitting on our free agents and our draft picks the last couple of years is not a coincidence yeah i mean these guys are these guys are awesome they're going to get work elsewhere and i'm very glad that dable is staying and that none of them are going because if one goes you don't know who they're going to take as their number two, right? Is our number four going to leave to be their number two, so on and so forth. The nice thing is that we have all hands on deck going into an offseason that is potentially the most important because of where it is in the rebuild and where it is in Josh Allen's progression. And I'm very, very relieved, very glad. I know there's a lot of people who were saying Cleveland take Brian Dable. It'll be a win-win, you know, because we don't want him back. Again, respectfully disagree with you. I don't know what else to say about that. It is more important for me to have a consistent playbook, consistent language, consistent attitude and demeanor in Josh Allen's helmet and a trusted person in that role than anything else. Now, is it impossible to have another person come in and, and, and check all those boxes? No, it is not. But I don't want to have to try. It's improbable. It yeah. may not be impossible. Yeah, but it, it's improbable. It seems like a tall order. Uh, it seems like a tall order to get somebody who comes in and it is just there's no there's no step back. There's no hiccup in chemistry between Allen and his OC. Now we know that that is going to be the case. Okay, we talked through all that and we say all that to 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 get to this point. Now we have all that consistency. We have all that continuity. Right? We're not shaking it up. We don't have that. We don't have those excuses, and I'm happy for that. But that also then adds responsibility to make progress. Mm -hmm. So what has to happen now? I mean, we are we are relatively uninterrupted as far as really important decision making and key people on the coaching staff. We lost a defensive line coach, but we replaced him with a guy who, again, Sean McDermott has experience with from Carolina and who even has defensive coordinator experience. So a guy who is sharp and has upward mobility as far as his his career trajectory and all that. There's there's not a whole lot to complain about or to say, well, you know, it's going to be hard to overcome this off the field issue for our on the field product. So what do we have to do, Bruce? What has to happen with Dable, the offense, the coaching staff, even Bean and, and his guys? What has to happen for the Bills? in the offseason and in the upcoming season for 2020? The first thing is I think the Bills need to add two playmakers to the offense. Two is specific. One of them has to be receiver, and one of them has to be running back. We've pretty clearly heard Sean McDermott state it's not a good idea to have one guy carry all, all the carries. Well, if that second guy is Frank Gore... When he's struggling, that's significant because the offense grinds to a halt when he gets a carry. So that can't happen, which means now RB2 is now important. If McDermott was of the opinion that you could give a guy 25 carries a game, that wouldn't be an issue. 
Devin Singletary would get 25, and if there was two left over, the guy would get him, and RB2 wouldn't really matter. But based on what he said, he made RB2 matter. So we have to have someone who can share the load with Devin Singletary. In addition, John Brown's a good player. Cole Beasley's a good player. It's not the end of it. It's not enough. It's not enough. We need another top three receiver. Because the drop-off after the two of them is significant. I'm sorry to the Duke Williams stands. But the drop-off after the two of them is not it. So you need a top three receiver, and you need an RB2. I, I would even say, I mean, I don't know. I guess we need an outside receiver. Because Cole Beasley doesn't really, you don't really want him doing that because it's sort of left-handed work for him. Now, Cole Beasley wants to be able to do more than just the stuff that he was asked to do in Dallas. He has been vocal about that, and I think the Bills have given him the opportunity to do that. But in order to also actualize his potential in doing those things that he's really good at, you need a person who commands a certain amount of defensive attention opposite John Brown on the outside. Absolutely you do. You have to have someone who can play outside. Now, having the ability to have that person play also in the slot is great and gives you versatility. But they have to be able to win on the outside. They have to have the body almost of of Duke, right? I mean, we want that skill set because we we did learn, you, you've said this on the solo pod, that Duke Williams, and you said it, I think, with Joe Marino and maybe with Pat Moran. You were, you were just everywhere, so I don't know. It was you were Bruce every, Week, man. Yeah, it was Bruce Week last week, and then you are making news this week, so I'm, goodness. It's just... You're, you're, slow, I'm ubiquitous. Yeah, slow down, pal. You slow Bruce down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Bruce with us. I am Bruce Almighty! My will be done! What we learned in the Houston wildcard game was that Josh Allen will throw contested balls. You know, we, we hadn't seen that to any kind of like meaningful consistency, I guess, throughout most of his second year. You know, he became precise and accurate in the mid-range game to an extent that I don't think really anybody who scouted him coming out thought was very likely. But he developed that part of his game really, really well. Uh, and is it's probably one of the most exciting things to come out of this season for me because it was the thing I thought maybe was going to be hardest. Well, now we need to bring back the deep ball and we need to utilize, you know, we need to add an element to our offense that doesn't exist currently. And Josh showed that he was willing to throw to a receiver like Duke. Now, one thing I would like to caution Bills fans on is that, yes, we want a contestant catch guy. Do not... Do not value a trait so much that it gets away from talent. This obsession with a tall receiver is how you ended up getting James Hardy over Deshaun Jackson. Instead of taking the best player, you just took the player of that specific type. Now, ideally, you'd like both. You want the best player to also be that. But getting the best possible receiver for Josh Allen is more important than getting that specific type. Now, we know that specific type is valuable, and we'd like to add a dimension to the offense we currently don't have. But it's a little bit like reaching for need. And be careful of that, because reach you can reach for need within a position just as badly as you can reach for need across positions. And reaching for need within a position is valuing a specific trait. I'll give you a great example. If you look and you go, gosh, you know, we need a satellite player. 
we absolutely have to have a satellite player to play in the backfield alongside Devin Singletary because we need the breakaway speed. Okay? So we pick someone who has the breakaway speed, ignoring someone who goes on to be one of the better running backs in the NFL without the breakaway speed. Because, well, you know, stylistically, we want to get a specific type. Well, you ignored the better player in service of a type. So I'm not saying we don't want that big body contested catch receiver. We do. But be careful not to reach for need within the position. Because it's something I don't think we talk about enough organizationally. And that's what we did when we ended up getting James Hardy over to Sean Jackson. It, it also always has a little bit of a sense of you don't recognize how temporary everything that you have right now is because the the arrangement of players with the skill sets that we have, like we have a Cole Beasley and we have a John Brown, things could happen where either those guys uh, lose their productivity or they get seriously injured and you know th- their skill set is lost for a significant period of time or permanently. And when that happens, now all of a sudden you have this you know, for lack of a better term, a gimmick. You have a you have a trait, but you don't have the complementary parts that were at that you needed in order for that trait to exceed and be such a perfect fit for your puzzle, right? When the Bills drafted, it's weird because it's not something that I think we think on particularly fondly. But when the Bills drafted Willis McGahee, twenty one twenty first overall, I think, and we had a like a we had a suitable backfield mm-hmm. at the time. We were we were pretty comfortable. Hey, Travis Henry, yeah. I think there was another too, and this was not like the. This was before the era of the complete committee. You know, no name guy, third round pick runs it every year. It was a, it was a little bit of a different league at the time, and people were saying, "Wow, why would we pick McGahee? Why would we pick McGahee? We don't need him right now." It's like we you never know what you're going to need in twelve months because things just don't always they don't stay static. What you think you know. You learn, ah, I didn't know that as well as I thought I did. Taking the better player accounts for roster fluidity. Yes. It's that simple. Roster fluidity. Taking is the, way the way best that. player accounts for roster fluidity. This idea that you had talked about it this offseason, this idea that you can finesse the roster yeah. and you have every trait accounted for <laughs> and everything is nice and it's all written in pen and everyone's healthy and that works until someone gets hurt. And it works until someone holds out. And it works until you have huge problems somewhere on the roster and you have to trade assets to cover it. It works until someone gets arrested. Right. It works until someone gets arrested. And that taking the best player is a way to insulate yourself from roster fluidity. Now, needs matter. Needs absolutely matter. And you and I have talked about it before that... When Brandon Bean says we're going to draft the best player on the board, he's lying, right? <laughs> we're, we're, this, this is for those of you who did not listen to our pods back when we were the Bills Backers Pod. One of the big takeaways from Brandon Bean, and you're going to hear me say a lot, is that Brandon Bean is lying. He is absolutely lying. He drafts for need. He doesn't wait for the board to come to him. He identifies people he likes and he goes and gets them. And he's also, I mean, kind of proving to us, I guess, if you have you know a front office with five deep of GM quality minds, maybe you can do that. <laughs> yeah, so far, I love it with you. So when you, when you hit on as many draft picks, you can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, right, right. right the right. idea that you need to trade down and accumulate quantity is based on the concept that the draft is a crapshoot. And that well, you don't actually know anything. Right, so you might as well take as many bites of the apple as you possibly can. Get as many darts at the board as you can. But if you consistently hit the way that Brandon Bean has, okay, sure, go ahead and trade up. Like, I, I mean... The swings and misses from this regime are not that many. And so 
I mean, you could make an argument. If Josh Allen busts, then that's a big one. But you could make an argument. I mean, Cody Ford isn't, you know, he's, he's, he's still a second, he's a second-year player now. It's, it's too early for him. But these people nail a lot of draft picks. I mean, Matt Milano is a big one. Yeah. Matt Milano in the fifth round. That I mean, Dawson Knox in the third round. Devin, Devin Singletary. Singletary. I mean, these are these Tredavious are, White. I know yeah. Bean wasn't here for Tredavious White. Sure, sure. I mean, Zay Jones goes with the, the Tredavious White one, too. But so. Deion Dawkins looks like he's coming around. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good thing. It's you a good thing. Three impact starters every draft. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. That is a ridiculous number. And then you add it, the fact that we absolutely obliterated free agency last year. Well, it's you know it's all coming around because of the Avion Black draft. Oh it's yeah, all coming. That, that back. was that was really the tipping point for the it, franchise. It's really for sure. You know you, when you have so long, so many drafts because of the guys that you had in charge, where you miss on everything. Then you know you're bound to eventually, I guess, come back around so that you're going to have a brain trust that hits on everything. <laughs> if you all have not gone back and looked at the, the Avion Black draft, That's a it was, bad it was draft. year 2000, right? Was I think, it 2000? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was a year 2000 draft. It was like the worst draft class like in the history of mankind. Like those, like those Bills guys. Like there was one or two guys who were even on the team at the end of the second season. It was bad. It was, it was bad. real bad. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, and we're going to keep going through the kinds of things that need to happen across the board in the organization. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat, along with me, Bruce Nolan. And we're going to keep going through the things that need to happen now that the Bills have this luxury, almost, of continuity and consistency amongst decision makers in the front office and amongst the coaching staff and amongst many of the key players. So the first thing that you said needs to happen is that we need to add two offensive skill set players. So that's a front office thing. And you talked about not getting too in love with a particular trait so that we don't overvalue that and then reach for somebody who has that. And then eventually, because the roster shakeups happen in a naturally unpredictable way, now we have this one trait and we don't have the compliments that allow it to you know, succeed. And we passed up on a better all-around player. Okay, long, long-winded way for me to ask you this. Just being a draft Nick guy, and we're, we're going to spend episodes and episodes on this stuff. So I, you don't have to you know blow us away for minutes and minutes on it. But are there guys in the draft that are this is supposed to be a very deep wide receiver draft are there guys that as of right now the board's going to move but as of right now you anticipate being available second third round that are players who are going to have some of those traits and are going to be available and are also hopefully going to be the best guy probably available around their time that they're taken yeah i mean two that come to mind right now are michael pittman jr from usc and justin jefferson from lsu um, I think Pittman Jr. probably available third, potentially the fourth round, and Justin Jefferson probably available in the second. Uh, might be drafted a little bit before the Bills pick in the second, but there's a reasonable chance he would be there in the second. And I heard that we have extra picks. so We do, we- and you know full well that if Brandon Bean drafts an edge rusher at 22, 
we're trading up in the second for a wide receiver. Like that's just just get ready for it, Bills fans. The trade up is coming. We're not going to make nine picks. It's not going to happen. I would be willing to bet a large sum of money, and I don't bet that Brandon B will not make nine picks. Yeah, and I I even am going to be interested to see who we spend our time with at pro days and 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 visits stuff like that because there are going to be some pass rushers who. If we invite a lot of pass rushers to come in who are going to be top 15 guys, then maybe he's looking at even moving in the first round. So, Which would not shock me no, at all. No, not shock me at all. Trading up for a receiver wouldn't shock me. I, I wouldn't do it, right, because of how deep the, the draft class is. Trading up for a pass rusher would not shock me. All right. So... There's going to be guys available free agency. Uh, I mean, AJ Green is a guy who's going to be available now. Injury is just such a concern with him because you you just you just have no idea what's going on with that foot. I mean, there was nothing re- foot problem. There yeah. was really nothing coming out of Cincinnati. There were a lot of leaks, you know, about his situation. All we just kept hearing over and over again is uh, we're hoping, we're hoping, we're hoping, and then injured reserve <laughs> yeah. right at the end. Yeah. So uh, not so much anymore. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Are there other guys that you think the Bills maybe are going to kick the tires on free agency-wise? I mean, we, we're, again, we're going to spend pods and pods on this, but is there just a big name that is coming out that is a wide receiver? You're like, this could this could fit with what we were trying to build. The free agent wide receiver class is not overly good this year, which is going to lead to people like Brashad Perryman and Cody Latimer probably getting more money than they should. So I don't know if that's a place where we can plug a lot of holes. Um, that's one of those things where we might have to we might have to wait for the dust to settle a little bit on the wide receiver class because I have a feeling that the scarcity at that position is going to push people into ridiculous levels. A little bit like it happened with Tyrell Williams last year. And I, you and I talked about Tyrell Williams probably getting overpaid. And he did. Not invited as much as we thought he not was going to. Not nearly as much as we thought, but right. he did. And, you know, we kind of, you know, hit John Brown and Cole Beasley, who were role players. And that might be something we need to do again. I do not think that. The the answer is happening via free agency. Yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I would I would kick the tires on Brashad Perryman. I absolutely would. It looks like he's finally coming around after some some trying times at Baltimore, and then in a more pass happy offense in Tampa Bay, he kind of started to come around. Well. It's not like we're above guys picking up guys on their third stop because that's where John Brown came in. Exactly. Like this is where his third stop. So, okay, defensively. What needs to happen as far as the front office is concerned for defensively? We need to add a pass rusher, regardless of whether or not we re-sign Shaq Lawson. We still need to add one. Do you are you open to keeping Trent Murphy, depending on how everything shakes out, or is that a is that an open and shut case where you're just like move on and upgrade no matter how you do it? Don't cut him just to cut him. Only cut him if if it's a business decision, right? So. Trent because, Murphy is a rosterable player. Because money is, can be saved there. Right. Money can be saved. A little over $7 million actually yeah, can be saved. Yeah, not like Star Latulale. It's no. not a $3 bath where you got to still pay 7 Significant money can be saved by, by getting rid of Trent Murphy. But getting rid of him just to get rid of him is not something that I'm signed up for. Now, if you re-sign Shaq Lawson, then okay, let's get rid of Trent Murphy and let's replace him in the draft. Then I'm fine with it because I'm good with that. But if you don't re-sign Shaq Lawson, now you, you have a hole. And if you cut Trent Murphy, now you have two holes. So I'm not in the interest of just creating holes for the sake of saving money. Some people are on the Jer- cut Jerry Hughes train. Some people Absolutely are saying that, Jer- that Jerry's old enough to move on from at this nope. point. 
Yeah, I, well, I will not listen. <laughs> I just won't. I'll, I will literally plug my ears and go la 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 la. If you come at me with cut Jerry Hughes, I I still think that Jerry creates consistent pressure. Now he's the one where it's like he creates some consistent pressure and the sacks don't come. You know, he right, someone sacks. else gets a sack. Yeah, now he gets three. Like in Jordan the wild- Phillips ends up getting the sack. He gets three in the wild card game. You know, so that's. You know, take that for what it's worth. But he was quiet all season. Three in the in the playoff game against Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I, I Jerry Hughes can still play. Yeah. Well, we also found out that he was playing with hand problems, Ligam- ligaments in the wrists. Yeah. So. I don't know if you guys know anything about pass rushing, but I have a feeling that that was probably uh, something for him to to deal with. Yeah. But Jerry Hughes is a monster. I mean, I, I mean, he's a kind of guy where you, I mean, you slap some lidocaine on the b- bad boy topically, and you you wrap it up, and he'll go out there and just say, "Oh, I'm I'm Gary now." We're going to go sack the quarterback. Right, all right. So I'm absolutely not willing to, like, just this idea that you just create holes for the sake of them is is not something that interests me. Yeah. Well, I think when you're trying to, you want to have four pass rushers. You want to have four ends that you can give meaningful snaps to. We're already losing Lorenzo Alexander to retirement. Now, as few as snaps as he may have taken, he could give you reliable NFL caliber pass rush snaps at end if you if you needed them right so right now the roster looks like for sure it is daryl johnson who a bit underwhelming um i mean whatever we'll see what well, he, I mean, he was a seventh round pick we'll see what he turns into but he yeah. i mean he's obviously got the talent that we didn't even you know again we we forget these conversations last year the conversation with with daryl johnson was he flashed so much in the preseason we couldn't cut him because we wouldn't be able to we wouldn't be able to practice squad yeah so, you've got Daryl Johnson, which is a question mark. We've got Mike Love, which is a question mark. Mike Love coming back. I forget what Mike Love's injury was, but he was injured reserve all season and is coming back now and is going to try to make another run at the roster. So, you've got those two guys, which I would say are firm question marks as far as what you can rely on getting out of them as far as meaningful snaps on a defensive end position. You've got Jerry Hughes, which is not a question mark. Nope. It's a, it is a it is a good pass rusher and a, and a reliable. I, I am always surprised how Jerry has edge discipline in the run support for his size. Like he just has an ability to just string out. Like it's it's spin moves and it's it disengage and kind of go wide and it's just it's very it's like an art. It's 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 technically. It's very admirable. The times when the Bills' run defense got smashed up last year was running to Trent Murphy's side when he got way too far upfield or catching the defense in some bad combination of defensive tackles where you have Jordan Phillips and Corey Legit on the field, for example, at the same time, and just running it down their throats. Yeah. So, I mean, Jerry Hughes is – he's he's – I like Jerry Hughes very much. So, and I really like him in run support. And I don't think he gets any any gratitude from Bills fans None. for his zero for his run support. And he is a meaningful run defender most of the time in support. Most of the time in positioning the defense so that the linebackers can get there because he pushes the wide. He makes the running back go wide. But in general, there's my Jerry Hughes soapbox. So you've got Jerry, you've got Trent Murphy, and you maybe have Shaq Lawson if we pay him. Now, if we don't pay Shaq Lawson, you've got Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy. You kind of, I mean, and you've got two question marks and you have two spots you need meaningful snaps from. And we don't have Lorenzo Alexander as a wild card. 
That's a huge need. It's the biggest need on the team. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than wide receiver. It's it's large. It is very large. And I I don't know. I mean, we we've been in conversations just in text messages with each other and with you know other pod friends. You know, I specifically remember a conversation where it was like. I mean, if we had to, if we were in a pinch, you know, with injuries in, in some of these situations in at pass rush, I mean, you're going to be talking about putting guys like Corey Thompson out there to just because you need a body and you've got a guy who's, you know, he's a defender and he's could potentially do it, which you, you don't want to be in a position where that's what you're looking at. So is there any more meat on the bone as far as pass rusher in free agency this year? Yeah, I think the free agent pass rusher class is a lot better than the free agent wide receiver class. Now, soon enough, you know, Yannick Ngakwe is going to be a big conversation for us. Mm-hmm. And he's the big guy. What is he, fourth year? His rookie deal is up. So he's leaving Jacksonville. What kind of defensive end is Yannick Ngakwe? A really good one. Just a, everything, a really all, good one. all a good, all around good. Yeah, Yannick Ngakwe is a good, is a really good player. Yannick Ngakwe can absolutely bend the edge. He has good he has good power. He can convert speed to power. He is a good player. His technique is underrated. He's not just a twitchy, bendy athlete. He's he's an underrated hand usage guy. Um, high motor, no health problems. He's 25. If you're going to splurge on a player, that's him. Now, I'm not advocating that we do that. I'm just saying that if we did, it wouldn't be risky. It would be risky financially because it's always risky financially when you do something like that. But that is he checks all the boxes. The, the tough thing about pass rusher is we have 90 million, but we also have a lot of guys to sign. And that's a place you can blow a lot of money real fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you have to be prepared to drop 100 million dollars. So how do you feel about, you know, five years, 100 million dollars for Yannick Ngakwe? Because that's, you know, that's that's the area you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. Um, I personally do not anticipate that happening at all. Because when you say you're not one player away, that doesn't mean you go out and drop 20 mil per on a defensive end. Yeah. I think that people need to do get, need to get used to that that's probably not going to be the answer. I would imagine we're going to go draft primarily because, I mean, it's a, it's a money situation right it's now. It's way cheaper. It's way cheaper to go and get what you think is going to be a reliable pass rusher in the draft than it is to pay a guy you know is a reliable pass rusher but you you're paying so much money to know that one of the things that you and i don't think have had an opportunity to talk about is something called the cadence of contracts and when you hear front offices say that you want to build through the draft one of the reasons they do that is because you get the appropriate cadence with your contracts so when you build through free agency you constantly run into problems because you're dropping a big contract at a year where you may or may not have been expecting to drop a big contract and it screws up your rhythm. Whereas if you draft players, you have a steady stream every year of players coming around and you plug holes and you have people leave and they get you comp picks. And there's a rhythm to this, a sustainable rhythm of success. And I'm not saying you cannot have scenarios where you have big off-season acquisitions. But if you make a habit of it, it screws up the cadence. It screws up the rhythm that the organization has. And I would not anticipate that happening with Yannick Ngakwe. But he's not the only free agent pass rusher that there is. Matthew Judon, Shaquille Barrett, all these players are on the free agent market. I think there are some very good 
pass rushers. I mean, Mario Addison is a popular name because of the Eric Washington and Carolina ties. And he's someone you bring in to be a starter who absolutely does not cost you $20 million a year, not even close. So this might be a scenario where we re-sign Shaq Lawson and then we sign Mario Addison and we go, okay, I feel good about Jerry Hughes, Shaq Lawson, Mario Addison as your top three defensive ends. Now we don't have to take a pass rusher at 22 overall. If we did that, we signed Shaq and we signed Mario Addison. Are we saving money on Trent Murphy at that point? Absolutely, yes. At that point, you're absolutely cutting Trent Murphy and you're giving his money to Shaq or you're giving his money to Mario Addison. Now, a little plug. I wrote the article on what I would do in the Jordan Phillips situation. I also wrote an article on what I would do in the Shaq Lawson situation. What day does that drop? And that comes out on Shaq Lawson Day, which is When's there Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. I think it's Thursday. So it'll be the day after this pod drops. It'll be Shaq Lawson Day on Buffalo Rumblings. Bury the lead. Don't say it. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what I would do with the Shaq Lawson situation because I'm going to plug my own article because that's the way I do things here. Alrighty then. So the article plugs the pod, and the pod plugs the article. There you go. I have no idea what I'm writing soon or next. So when that happens, we'll plug that. Oh, we should probably (laughs) tell the listeners we're going to be writing more. Yeah, we're going to be writing all season, two articles per week. You and I are going to be doing that on the regular for for Buffalo Rumblings. Yeah, we did. This year, you did an opinion column that dropped after the game, and then I did Crumbling Their Cookies, which is an analysis piece, a strategy piece that dropped on Fridays. And um, we really enjoyed what we did, and um, Buffalo Rumblings was kind enough to have us on as more significant writing contributors, and that's the way that it will be moving forward. So you'll be able to catch some of our work on buffalorumblings.com as well. Yep, very good. Is there anything else the front office needs to do? I mean, they're, they're going to do their due diligence and draft stuff, but I, 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 do they have to do anything? I mean... You know, they've had such success. I, I venture to say they don't have to do anything other than they have, what they have already been doing. You know, yeah, I think there's two more things that are of significance. And the first is you have to make headway on some of the extensions. You don't have to do them all this offseason. But I, I would personally resign Trey this offseason. I understand that we have another year and a fifth year option, but waiting is I not mean, a good idea. Yeah, it's going to cost you more money. But a lot of times that convers- those conversations start to happen at, between the agents and the front office at the combine. Yeah, I guess. So that would not be uh, I would not be shocked to yeah. see that happen. But I personally think that Tredavious White and Jordan Poyer, I think you need to wrap up along with Matt Milano. If you can get those three extensions done this offseason – that's a success. And the last piece, aside from make, you know, so we said, okay, add two playmakers to offensive skill positions, pass rusher, start on extensions, make sure you have CB2 lockdown. Whether that's Kevin Johnson and Levi Wallace platooning in that area, whether that's drafting someone, whether that's signing somebody like Byron Jones, who's going to command significant money. But if that if you, if you want that to be your splash, not quite Yannick Ngagwe splash, but more of a Mitch Morse-ish Right, splash. If you want that to be your splash in free agency, that's fine. I'm surprised you didn't say that they need to do anything at the offensive line. Well, I am. I'm leaning toward the fact that Quentin Spain might be back, and if he's not, we can move Cody Ford and have Ty and Secchi. I don't think it's as significant of a priority. I'm not saying I'm, I'm opposed to to bringing people back. I think Adrian Waddle will be back, and I think Quentin Spain probably will be. But if he's even if Quentin Spain's not back, you can move forward over. You can have Ty Insecki as your starting right tackle and lay Adrian Waddles your swing. 
So I don't think that's as pressing of a need. Hmm. I think other people disagree with you on that. I, I am okay. I mean, everybody knows I'm kind of like, let's just see what Spencer Long can do. What are we all do? What are we all talking about here? Why we we got the starting caliber backup guard? Why don't we just play and plug him in? So everybody knows where I stand on that. But uh, yeah, I guess I'd be a little bit concerned about Inseki's health, just because it was such a nagging situation in his mm-hmm. age. But I, you know, I. I we did so much. We threw, we just like did so much quantity right. at the offensive line, and you kind of feel like, okay, we got to serviceable. That's where we are. <laughs> we are hanging out at serviceable, and I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a little bit of uh, sustainability there, one way or another. Be that if we re-sign Quentin Spain, then you know, okay, so we we have a we have a right tackle situation. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all we have. We have a right tackle situation. Because you've got Deion Dawkins, you've got Quentin Spain, you've got Mitch Morse, you've got John Feliciano for another year before you have to pay him, and you've got one question mark at right tackle. That's it. Okay, I mean, Quentin Spain, if that's what you choose to do, I'm good with that. But if Quentin Spain walks, I guess I get a little uneasy kind of quickly. I mean, even as much of like a Spencer Long guy as I am, I get a little worried pretty quick. Because then you plug Spencer Long and there goes your depth. One guy goes down on the interior and you're, who knows? And that's not saying we can't pick up a depth free agent on the offensive line again. I guess, yeah, it's just not one of the top things for you. That's correct. Okay. It's, it's not a massive priority. All right. All right. So let's talk about, you want to talk about Josh Allen or do you want to talk about coaches? Let's talk about Josh Allen. Good. Because that will fit in nicely, I think, with our break. So we've talked about what needs to happen for the Bills as an organization in front office wise. What needs to happen? For Josh Allen in his third year. Now, and I, I asked that question knowing this, and, and some of our astute listeners who pay attention might know this too. You have said previously that you want an answer, that you 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 are going to have an answer, barring injury, at the end of year three for Josh Allen as to whether or not he is, quote-unquote, the guy. The probability of Josh Allen not showing he's the guy through 16 full games in 2020 and then becoming the guy in 2021 or later is very slim. I'm not saying it's impossible. Nothing's impossible. This is football. This is about probabilities. He's already he's already proven us wrong. So, right. so if we get to the end of 2020 and he's been healthy the entire year, and there's no significant extenuating circumstances like his entire receiving crew gets hurt or something like that, then I think there's a high likelihood that I will know whether or not he's the guy. Now, there are plenty of people, if we get there, who might disagree with me and say, no, Bruce, it's too early. And that's fine. And I'm willing to take that disagreement. And if you hate me for it, that's fine, too. I don't care about that either. I'm not interested in caring about people. But I want to know if he's the guy. And to do that, one of the most important things that Josh Allen's got to do is Josh Allen's got to find some completions. Josh Allen has to find some completions. And what I mean by this is there's an interesting phenomenon when it comes to criticizing Brian Dable. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but simultaneously, he was not running the ball enough and also too conservative with his game plans. Have you seen this? This is a fascinating dichotomy to me, and I, I, I don't know if we're noticing that it's weird or if I'm just bringing it up and you're going, huh, that is weird. So one of the reasons why Brian Dable was forced into some pass-happy scenarios is when he ran on first down, Frank Gore didn't necessarily get him the yardage that he wanted, or 
it would be too predictable. And then when he would pass on first down, Josh Allen would miss the easy yards, putting us behind the sticks, requiring us to then pass to catch up behind the sticks. So now the failure of Josh Allen to find the completion on the early down then necessitates more throwing to get yourself out of the hole that was created by Josh Allen initially. So this is really important why you don't just look at pass attempts and look at rush attempts and just make global sweeping generalizations based on that, right? That's not what we should do. I, I saw a lot of people, I think the 46 pass attempts was a big deal for people when you're up this much in the Houston, Texas game. Why, why do you have Josh Allen throwing the ball 46 times? Well, you, if you want to throw on first down to make sure you keep things off balance and then you have a quarterback who doesn't find the easy completion on first down and now you're behind the sticks running on second and long is almost always a bad idea. Coaches do it all the time and it, it's just probability wise. It's been established that it's just not overly a good idea running on second and long. So now you throw on first down, you got to complete You're in second and 10. Well, now you have to throw. And if you can't find the easy completion and you can't get to third and short, right? Well, now you have to throw again. <laughs> so now you threw three straight times. And Josh Allen, congratulations, you're good at third and long. But one of the reasons you're good at third and long is because you're doing it so much. And one of the reasons you're doing it so much is because you didn't find the easy completions earlier in the downs. Well, now, it, well, he, by his own admission, has yeah. said this. Part of it is, too, it's... It, Josh Allen is trying. Josh Allen is playing on first down like it's third and long. Right. <laughs> so I got to get it all right now. He's like, so that, I mean, that's part of it to me is when you say he's not looking for the easy completion, he's not taking the easy completion. It's because he's playing like it's third and sixteen, and he's looking. He's like, I really would love to get eleven here. Really would love. Right. So I mean, that's that's part of it to me is it's it's a little bit of consistency from him. But you you would like to see him take some easy stuff. One of the things that Josh Allen said was a big transition for himself from 18 to 19 was I was trying to score a touchdown out of every play in 18 on the 19th. I just want to get a first down. Okay. Every play. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> every play. So what I need from 19 to 20 is I need to get the appropriate amount of yardage. And that may not necessarily always be 10 on first and 10. So I need that to further evolve. And I know it can. Josh Allen's proven that he can evolve. So I need that step to go from, I need to score a touchdown every play, okay, to I need to score a first down every play, to I need to get the completion and get the right amount of yards to stay ahead of the sticks to increase the probability that this drive will continue. Getting six yards on first and ten is reasonable. Getting four yards on second and four is good. And so those things are the things that he needs to, to get better at. That's what I need to see Josh Allen get better at moving forward. Deep ball stuff? Giggity. Yes, but I really, I'm not as concerned about it as a lot of other people are because I think a lot of that stuff had to come with the time on task and not having the chemistry with John Brown deep and not having the chemistry with Duke Williams deep and things like that. And I really feel like that's something where I don't think he suddenly forgot how to do it. Because we saw him do it really well at Robert Foster his first year. I don't think he forgot how to do it. I really don't. I think that's going to happen. I really do. I think for me with Josh Allen, this this kind of goes in with the take with like the first down stuff is take the really easy stuff 
that you see like see that see the really easy thing that the defense is going to give you on first down pre-snap hmm. and just take that just like, know that it's there and just it just be like uh, they're going to give me four yards on first down. They're going to give me five yards on first down because of where Cole's signed up and the, the route he's going to run. And it's going to be their four yards cushion. I, I I have to take this quick slant. Like I just have to take this little drag. I, I have to do it. I mean, it's what I'm supposed to do. And I, I want him to do that. One of the things I think that will help Josh Allen do that is if we get him a bigger target who can run a slant and have a little bit of that physical possession thing. And Josh Allen feels comfortable getting the ball to a person who doesn't average, you know, doesn't average 15 yards a catch. Someone who averages 10 yards a catch because of the types of routes that he's running. I and think, so I think that will help. It's That's actually probably one of the unstated reasons that I am most grateful that Dable's coming back. Because I think that Josh Allen progressing, progressing and taking that play is much higher in 2020 if he's call if he's working with the same playbook absolutely and the same play caller and most of the same receivers than if he was going to a brand new playbook with either different language or a different play caller and different expectations of what that play caller wants out of each particular football position uh, or football circumstance I'm very grateful that I think that this just really aligns Josh up to have the greatest opportunity to just continue progress and trend upwards. You and I have talked about isolating the variable. We don't have to worry about another variable being Brian Dable. I mentioned this on Twitter that if Josh Allen's not the guy, I want it to be because he wasn't good enough. I don't want it to be because we screwed up his situation so royally by giving him no talent and changing his offensive coordinator right when he was starting to get comfortable. I don't want that to be the reason why he's not the guy. I want to know at the end of this year or whenever it is that people decide. That he, some people are still convinced Tyrod was the guy. So some people will literally never give it up. And they'll make excuses till the end of time. But for the vast majority of people who come to the conclusion, okay, he's the guy. Or okay, he's not the guy. I want it to be because he was good enough or because he wasn't good enough. And I don't like the variables. And we have done a good job of making sure that... He, we didn't keep him with an unreasonable Deshaun Watson-esque situation with his offensive line. We didn't keep him with arguably the worst skill position players in NFL history from 2018. Those receivers were absolutely bonkers bad. We didn't, we didn't keep him in that position. I think one of the things that's also going to be added to Allen's plate this year is going to be what I think was really nice is that last year we added John Brown and Cole Beasley, prof- like a professional's professional, both of them. Mm-hmm. Like these are these are guys who know what it looks like to do this job. They can help him get better. They are going to do what their responsibility is. Now we're probably going to add a receiver in the draft, and it's probably going to be a relatively high pick, which means that these this guy's going to get some he's going to get some snaps, and Josh Allen is going to have to be the guy who's ahead of him and bring and, and kind of like you helps him come along and and Josh finds a way to be productive with that player. Now, he's he's found ways to be productive with players that he obviously just met. I mean, it's what he was doing with Robert Foster and Isaiah McKenzie and then Cole Beasley and John Brown, it's just going to be a little bit of a different dynamic for the first time with it being a rookie and Josh is the third-year pro. And he needs to take this rookie and help the rookie get better and all of that. So uh, it'll be interesting for sure. Josh can do it. Yeah, Josh I, can do it. I, I, I don't I, know if he will, but I know he can. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I'm, I think we're both a little optimistic about it. So we'll take our last break and come right back and we will finish with what the coaches have to do on the field. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. And we will waste no time. So we've talked about the front office. We've talked specifically about Josh Allen. There's other players who need to progress, too, but maybe of less interest. We'll get into them in other pods. As far as the coaching staff is concerned, so you can talk about Dable if you want, uh, but I'm, I think I'm also interested in McDermott and maybe some of the things on the defense because the defense was started out the year think we think it was going to be historic with its like points allowed and all of that stuff, and then just fell apart in the run game in the middle of the season, and now you know we end the season thinking eh, it's a good defense. You know what I mean? But like if you remember the whiplash that we went through early on, it was severe. So. Maybe that was coaching. Maybe it wasn't. I'll, I'll let you give us your, your thoughts on this. But what needs to happen as far as the guys who are in the program under the category coaches for the Buffalo Bills in 2020? Not a lot on the defensive side. I really feel like as long as we bring back similar personnel, I feel like there is really not a lot I can ask more of Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. Obviously, you'd like to see some more turnovers, and you'd like to see them focus on tackling this offseason. But that's hard with the way that the NFL currently works, with the limits on padded practices and things like that. I think it needs to be an emphasis, but it's really hard to emphasize. I think I'm worried about it because the only thing that you said, or I asked you about that, like, how do you get better at tackling? And you said, well, sometimes whenever you play on Saturday, you lose a practice day and you lose a padded practice day. Yeah, you don't even really have the opportunity to do anything about it. You just say, hey, stop missing tackle. You know what I mean? Like you, you, there's, there's something that you lose. And I'm willing to venture a guess. We're going to be playing a lot of unusual schedules this next year. We're going to be playing a lot of night games, some Thursdays. I mean, it's going to be weird. We're going to play, you know, and it's going to it's going to interrupt the routine. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that that's on the coaches to make sure that they're finding a way to fit the important things into practices. I think with Sean McDermott, he needs to continue to evolve as a game day coach. He got better from seventeen to eighteen. He got better from 18 to 19. You know what? Yeah, he definitely did. He he also swallowed a lot of challenges that, I mean, fans were clamoring for. I was at the bar or wherever. People was challenge that. You got to challenge that. Even the announcer's talking about you got to challenge it. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I'm right or always right or wrong. I don't know how you feel about this. But so a lot of times I think, yeah, it's a challengeable play, but, like, you're not going to get it. And that's, that's a big thing for me. Sean McDermott values his timeouts. One of the things we, you and I have talked about is that Sean McDermott utilizes his timeouts in an unusual way sometimes with being able to call a timeout after he sees the alignment <laughs> to be able to force the yeah. opposing team into, a, into their second favorite play for that situation instead of their first favorite play for that situation. Or see if the defense lines up the exact same way and run the play 
that is going to be beneficial to the way the defensive line aligns and see if they'll do it again. And sometimes they're dumb enough to do it again. They'll line up a certain way. Sean McDermott will call a timeout, call a play on offense with Brian Dable to make sure that it takes advantage of that alignment. And then the defense will do it again. And they're like, okay, well, if you're going to do it, that's fine. <laughs> we'll just, you know. And so I think that Sean McDermott values those timeouts because getting that, the, I don't want to say guaranteed play, but getting the probability of that play success to go up is worth the timeout as opposed to that other thing that may have been challengeable. So I'm not really that against his challenge technique. He does need still to figure out the aggression thing. And what I mean by that is there's times when we say the Frank Gore at the end of the half is, of course, what comes to mind. And we say, well, we're not playing for the field goal, but then we run him with no timeouts. And then we rush to the line and spike it. And you're like, well, were you being aggressive or were you... Were you not being aggressive? Like I don't, I don't understand. There's inconsistency in the aggression. Yeah, well, you know that they're smart enough not to think. Well, I ran Frank Gore there. I was expecting him to get 18 yards. Right. That's. <laughs> I, I don't we think all, that's part of the we, plan. We all know that you didn't think that. <laughs> and so there's inconsistency. I don't know if it's a miscommunication between Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, or what's going on there. But that's something that needs to get ironed out. The other thing for McDermott is you know just clock management in general needs to be better. And I think he's gotten better at it, but it needs to improve. So those are some things that you have to get from coaching. I think another thing for Brian Dable is one of the things I really like that Brian Dable did early in the Houston Texan game is he got Josh involved in some scripted throws, some no reads, no reads at all. You are throwing this swing pass to Isaiah McKenzie. You are doing this. That's the play. And I think that kind of helps Josh get in the rhythm early in addition to some called runs early. And I felt like that really helped Josh get in a rhythm early. And so I'd like to see that. There was a discussion Nate Burleson mentioned on Good Morning Football that Brian Dable does not script the beginning of the game, which I think is a fairly significant revelation. Did he? Does he know that? Or did yeah, he, he just said guess the that? Bill's players told me that. Nate Burleson said, Bill's players told me Brian Dable does not script the beginning of the game. Well, with a quarterback like Josh Allen who has a tendency to run hot and cold, maybe you should. So... I would make an argument that those are some things that maybe Brian Dable needs to work on this offseason. Yeah. As far as this game plan is specifically designed to script a couple things to, number one, get Josh Allen in a rhythm. Hey, get a rhythm. When you get the blues, come on, get a rhythm. Get him comfortable. Maybe get him hit a couple times so he can kind of knock the rust off and you know knock the adrenaline out of him. But in addition to also show things against the defense. I want to see for later on how the defense will react to this package and how they'll react to this look. So I think that's something Brian Dable needs to do. There's a lot of things about Brian Dable and Sean McDermott that I'm I'm appreciative of. And there's a handful of people who are listening to this who are just like gritting their teeth because they, they don't feel that way, especially about Brian Dable. I hate that guy. One of the things about Sean McDermott I just want to give airtime to is that for three years, the man has overachieved with his team, right? I mean, were we expecting him in his first season for us to go to the wild card game? No. Did we fall ass backwards into it? Yep. But it happened. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, he got he got us at least to a situation to where we could do that, and he did that somewhat in in 
in spite of himself because of the Nathan Peterman drama. Right. I mean, he he made decisions about the kind of player and the kind of preparer and the kind of person that he thought Nate could be or that Nate was and he the way that he thought he could be a player and he found out he was dead wrong right now hopefully that was um an incredible learning moment for Sean and I would imagine it would be and I I would be interested actually if anybody who listens to this pod who has more access than us um is willing to to ask Sean if there's like a candid thing about that because I know he thinks highly of Nate as a person I really liked him that's why he tried to give him so many chances and keep him around and everything but he easily overachieved with that team. I don't think we should have won six games last season. Uh, I think that that was uh, there. Were people well, that was hugely overachieving. People were talking about how we were going to be the number one overall pick. People were talking about how the, the team was just. People were talking about how it was. They don't know if it was more impressive for us to go to the playoffs in his first season or to win six games in his second season. And now we win ten games in his third season, which easily. I think you could have been 11 in a meaningful scenario uh, where we had to play people in week 17. Sean McDermott has overachieved every year. I mean, next year, the expectations are kind of high. So it'll be weird for me for the first time to be like, I don't really know that you can overachieve. I guess if you win the Super Bowl, you can overachieve because I don't think we're one player away. Absolutely. And if you can go to the AFC championship game or to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, then that would be overachieving maybe. But I mean, I'm, we haven't even touched free agency or the draft yet. This team is trending in the right direction. Now, obviously, we need things to keep trending in that way, and you need Josh Allen to keep trending that way. But Sean McDermott has gotten more out of his guys than most professional coaches in comparable situations get out of their guys. There's some synergy. There's something behind that as far as the synergy between him and Bean, but it is a real thing. And I'm appreciative. Again, with with Daybowl, you want to say something about McDermott? No, I'm, I think you summed that up really well. I think McDermott is the answer to the question, what if Dick Duran had better support from a front office and evolved yeah. as a head coach? Yeah. Well, that that last part was really hard for Dick. Dick Duran did not evolve, <laughs> no. right? No. But and he was coach of the year in Chicago. Yeah. He was coach of the year in Chicago, and it was like it was very much he got stuff out of guys. Mm-hmm. Now he also was just kind of the coach he was as, as far as as his scheme. And, and Sean McDermott, because of his investment in analytics and because of his growth mindset, right. he, he evolves. Right. And Dick Chiron never did. Yeah. And I think I'm not here for a lot of Sean McDermott slander, guys. I know he's got flaws, but look at the I, alternatives. I, I'm really not here for a lot of Sean McDermott slander. I and you know me, I. I, obviously, clearly not a fanboy based on all the reactions to my my column on Buffalo Rumblings about Jordan Phillips. Clearly not a fanboy, right. but I'm not here for the Sean McDermott slander. I think he's a an above average NFL head coach, and we're lucky to have him. Yeah, I mean, so there's 32 of these jobs, right? Like we, we we've had this conversation a lot about Dable recently. People were talking about well, you know, there's only 32 jobs. If Dable has a chance to go get one, he's going to go get one, and I don't disagree with that necessarily. There's another thing too, where like five of these, five or six or eight of these jobs are open every year. Because it's very hard. You know, I mean, like, how many franchises right now have a coach that they would, that if Sean McDermott was available, that they wouldn't at least really, really think about, ooh, maybe we should let this guy who's a little unproven go or let this new guy go and take the known commodity that is Sean McDermott, right? I mean, what? 10 franchises maybe wouldn't do that probably a lot i mean like the, the 20 of them would or more so yeah to me 
there's a lot there with with Dable. One of my favorite things about Dable has been just that every week there were new things in the playbook. Every week there were new plays that were often a misdirection, often had a little bit of razzle dazzle to them, and I just think it keeps the defense on on their heels. And a, a lot of those plays they were scoring plays. The John Brown touchdown to Josh Allen is, an, is a good example of that. You could have shown that earlier this season. There was multiple times where that was probably in the playbook, and it would have been nice to you know pull out a thirty yard touchdown out of nowhere, right? And it it, it was there. So. I think with with Dable, what I would like to see is I would like to see some screen game. Um, I, I think that that's just a part of our playbook that is kind of dusty. <laughs> I really like the throwback screen yeah. against the Texans. Well, that's the thing. We, we did and it. We I think it. if you can't get the screen to work, I'm so sorry to just... No, you're good, you're good, you're good. But if you can't get the screen game to work traditionally, then... I think using Josh Allen's mobility to assist in the misdirection on the screen game was an incredibly inspired move by Brian Dable. He goes, listen, this screen game is not working as it is, but you know what might help if Josh Allen rolls to his right and has the threat to run, and earlier in the game, he ran that direction, and it was a big game, big gain, and we roll him that direction. The defense overcommits. Devin Singletary comes out the backside. Josh Allen has the option, if it's not there, instead of just dirting it like he would on a typical screen, if it's not there, he can run. That is a way better screen call than traditional screen calls, and that shows Brian Dable's involvement. Yeah, part of me worries, too, like in a traditional screen game, as you're saying that, Josh, when it's really not there and he has one option... He gets a little, it's a little crazy sometimes. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't really protect the ball. You know, when the linemen have abandoned him, literally to go make room, and he can't deliver the ball, and the linemen are still coming at him, it's not a good situation. At some point, we should just let the linemen we don't like through, like remember the Titans, and just have Josh Allen throw the ball as hard as possible directly at the linemen's face. Yeah. I want to see him kill a man. (laughs) (laughs) Who who was it who said that? Michael Kiss on Twitter was somebody said, uh, I think it was Nate Geary, said, you know, Josh Allen really needs to take a few, a little bit off the ball. ball." And Michael Kiss responded, goes, no, throw it harder. I want to see him kill a man. (laughs) Yeah. So that that's one thing. And then the second thing is, and this this goes hand in hand with us getting another playmaker at the running back. I really like a pony backfield. I really would like to see a pony backfield. I think that it splits the defense's commitment whenever you have linebacker. I mean, the linebackers do most defenses have even two linebackers that are of that they think as highly of as we think of Milano and Edmonds as a unit. I mean, maybe half of the league, maybe less. So you're talking about a significant number of opponents, and we're going to be playing a, probably a tougher schedule next year because we finished second in the division. So you're talking about just putting more stress on the defense. Hypothetically, in this situation, we're going to be lining up with the offense as it was this past season. Okay, let's just make some assumptions. You've got John Brown on the field. You've got Dawson Knox on the field. You've got new and improved wide receiver on the other side, okay? Whoever that is, fill it in with your... Don't go to the direct top of the draft. Who's the number one guy? Jerry Judy, probably. Okay, what about LaVisca Chenault? That's the guy everybody keeps talking about. Yeah, he's a bottom of the first round kind of guy. that's why people are talking about. Okay, well, whoever... A guy, okay? A, a, A good guy. A guy we think highly of and like, okay, is on the other side. Now you've got, in the backfield, you have Devin Singletary, and you've got your other 
dynamic running back. Get used to me talking about Zach Moss from Utah. Just, so Zach Moss from Utah. Just so, get used to it. I mean, you're talking. I'm a fan. And you've got now two, uh, two running backs back there that either of them are legitimate factors to receive the ball, be it in in a swing, in a pass, in a shovel, in whatever it may be. I mean. Th- so what you're doing here is you're forcing the defense because you're in 21 personnel. You have two running backs and a tight end on the field, right? You have two wide receivers. You're forcing them into base defense because that's the typical response to that, right? And if you force them into base, now you have two linebackers on two running backs. And your chances of having both linebackers able to run with both running backs is low. Now they might decide they might decide to go nickel in that case and bring in a a slot corner in which case the slot corner would take one of the running backs. But if you have two running backs and one of them is okay blocking, I don't know if you remember this, but occasionally you would see Fred Jackson as a lead blocker. That becomes problematic because now you can run power with a lead blocker out of a pony backfield. So then they go nickel and you go okay fine you want to go nickel we'll just run it down your throats. And one of these running backs is willing to run. It's the same problem that arises. I always get really excited about the wide receiver class. And recently, I've been rolling through the tight ends. So I've been going through the tight ends of the draft class. And every time I go through the tight ends, I'm always like, you know, I know we have a wide receiver need and everything. But, man, I'd really like to go 12 personnel, like, all the time. It's the same problem that you create for defenses when you have two really good tight ends. Like, just imagine with me, if you will, you know, someone like... Someone like Hopkins from Purdue alongside give, give Dawson a, Knox. Can you give us a pro comparison skill set wise? I'm not fully done with it yet, so I probably can't. Well, can you give us a, a, a pro, like somebody else from the NFL who would be on the other side of Dawson okay, Knox? Okay, so Bryson Hopkins, let's go with um, Ertz. Yeah, let's go with Zach Ertz okay, for so, right now. So now, right? you're, now he's you're, taller, okay. but uh, I mean, I, mean, uh, I think. Yeah, let's go with let's go with Sackerts, okay? So let's go Bryson Hopkins and Dawson Knox. And you go 12 personnel. Well, you can run out of 12 personnel. You have two tight ends on the field, right? Or you can split them out wide and now you can pass from 12 personnel. And it creates problems because if they go nickel, you run it down their throat. And if they go base, you can kick your tight ends out wide and you have an advantageous matchup in the pass game. I like things like that. That makes me happy in the same way that a pony backfield makes you happy. Yeah, it, it- the thing about that too is we we talked about this previously. It's still interesting, you know. Dable spent a not insignificant amount of his coaching career as a tight ends coach, mm-hmm. and does that mean that he's going to fall in love with the project that is Tommy Sweeney, or does that mean he's going to be salivating for the high end talent and telling? Bean and Lake Dawson and Dan Morgan and Joe Shane and Brian Gain and say, guys, if there is another one of these, if you can get me another one of these in the third round, thank you. <laughs> well, and they would, it would certainly it was a discussion that you and I had back when it was a possibility that we would draft T.J. Hawkinson. You said, is is the fact that he's a tight ends coach going to lead him toward high end talent or is it going to lead him toward a developmental project? And the answer was developmental project. Things by me coach. It was Dawson Knox. And it hasn't been a, it's been okay. Yeah, it's been okay. So, okay, uh, I think we want to run through. So, okay, obviously we've made a transition, right? The Bills are out of the playoffs, and we are going to be. We'll talk about NFL news and stuff like that, but we will return to some of the other more, 
I don't know. I, I, I like the offseason for us. It's less stressful for me. We don't have things we have to talk about. We can be a little bit more creative. It's less stressful for me because I don't have to watch pack, a film. I don't yeah. have to pack as much film in. Yeah, right. But, okay, so we're going to spend a significant amount of time this offseason going through the things that are happening around football, right? Now, the offseason schedule is jam-packed. It is a, I mean, the NFL is a 12-month league year now. So Bruce is going to go through that. And so you can expect us to probably at some point spend some time on some of these things. But also it's good for you guys because if you just want to just kind of have an awareness of, okay, what's, you know, what's, what is Brandon Bean doing right now? Or what is Sean McDermott maybe trying to like keep an, you know, keep an eye on out of the corner of his eye while he's on vacation? Uh, These are the things that are, that are happening now. So January 17th is the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft. So at the end of day, on January 17th, we will know everyone who's available in the Friday. NFL draft. That says Friday, right? Yes. Okay. The 18th, which is Saturday, is the Shrine game, which is the first of the major college all-star games. A week from that, the 25th, is the Senior Bowl, which we all know is is, is a fairly significant recruiting, gr- recruiting like, ground yeah, for uh, scouting people town, to go in scouting and scout yeah. and things like that. Then February 24th to March 2nd, is the combine in Indianapolis. February 25th is when the beginning of franchise tag designations is. That's the first day you can franchise tag somebody. That goes until March 10th. March 10th is when you, you absolutely, if you want to tag somebody, this is when this is the last day to do it. Is it when you tag them that day, is that the end of negotiating with them? No. Okay. That comes later. March 16th is when the legal tampering period opens for free agency. This is when the, hey, so-and-so intends to sign with so-and-so. Now, it's not official until the 18th. So this is where Anthony Barr said he was going to go with the Jets, and then he pulled out because he was afraid of getting hurtled by Josh Allen again. And so he <laughs> went back to the Vikings, and he avoided getting hurtled this year. How many days is it? Two. Uh, it's two days. Okay. For the between the legal tampering and when free agency actually, opens. it's an exciting day to be on Twitter, man. The oh, news, it's a great the day. The news is just the news. Uh, I that, almost want to take that day off work and like yeah. stay at home and just write article. No, you know what? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give our editor any ideas. What? If, but what, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we should. I'm gonna. Okay. We should uh, talk about if we want to do like that. A special pod. Yeah, do a special pod about that stuff. Like, we could live stream. We could do it like a like a live. If y'all if y'all want it. Tell us. I don't know. We could do something. In a five-star review. On the there you go. <laughs> he did it. Okay. So That's a good Perino impression there on your part. I know. I, I, I spend enough time around a guy. Yeah, you know, you start right. to do it. March 29th to April 1st is the spring meetings for the NFL spring owners meetings. Ugh. April yeah. 17th is when the refri- restricted free agent deadline is to sign offer sheets. So if you have someone who's offer sheet... Isaiah McKenzie, a big example of that. He's a restricted free agent. That's the deadline for them to sign offer sheets. April 20th is teams with returning coaches, us, can start off-season conditioning stuff. Then April 23rd through the 25th is the draft. Then wow. right after that, in May, you have a two, you have two three-day windows. May 1st through the 4th and May 8th through the 11th. A team can hold a three-day minicamp on either of those windows for rookies only. It's a rookie minicamp. Then the 19th and 20th of May is the 
the owners meeting for the kind of the summer, right? The summer owners meeting. And then July 15th is the last day to sign extensions for franchise tag players. Okay. So you get a couple months. Okay. Okay. Then mid July training camp. And then we go train, we go OTAs training camp and mandatory mini camps and all that stuff happens then. And all that stuff happens and you're in, you're in training camp and then we're off, we're off and running. It'll go fast. All right. Well, we hope, as you can tell underneath us right now, the new the new theme, it's here, right? It's here. So we hope that you guys enjoy this episode and enjoy us coming back together. Sorry that I wasn't with you right after the loss. It's okay. We all we all needed a little bit of time. So Bruce, Bruce got us through. But thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. Let us know what you think of the new uh, the new theme music. Bruce and I would love to hear. Yeah, we really worked hard on it. Yeah, and Ryan really worked hard on it. Please make sure you check out Ryan Nellis uh, on YouTube. You can search his name. You'll find him on there. Find him on Twitter. Give him a follow. And uh, he he does some really catchy stuff. I was absolutely kidding about working hard on it. I did nothing. So (laughs) that was a joke. Just in case you guys weren't aware. All right. Well, as always, thank you so much. And we just, you know, as we're going in to the next week of the playoffs and and what's the Shrine game is coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just remember... We have this one piece of wisdom that we want to make sure you just you start to think about things that you don't really know what's going on. Just remember, this this will always get you through. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 